0: McKinsey on Healthcare, a podcast series about visionaries, leaders, and problem solvers shaping the future of healthcare.
1: Today, I'm joined by Jim Weinstein, who is the Senior Vice President for Microsoft Healthcare in Seattle, and before that served as CEO of Dartmouth-Hitchcock Health System. We'll be discussing his perspectives as a former hospital operator and current technology executive. Jim, thanks so much for joining us today.
0: Great to be with you.
1: Great. Jim. Tell me about how you initially decided to go into medicine, your first career in this space.
0: I became sick as a child, actually, um, in high school and missed a year of school. And I was quite fascinated because nobody could make a diagnosis, but they had me in isolation and said I had some strange illness that they didn't define. And even today as a physician, I'm kind of curious what it was. But um, then I... Worked in a hospital um, every year till I was a junior in medical school. So I just became fascinated with the hospital environment and that there were technologies and people who actually thought deeply about helping somebody feel better. And I'd felt sick for so long as a child that I thought, this is a great opportunity. So that's kind of how it started.
1: Well, and since then, you've had so many careers, you know, more than most people could dream of, really, as a practicing spine surgeon, head of the Dartmouth Institute, a health services researcher, and a CEO, and now a tech executive.
0: You know, people often ask me, how did you get to where you are? How did you do all that? And with each journey, I always wondered, why me? And how did I get here? And I think what I've come to believe is that I've always been anxious to answer questions. But what I really think is, in spine surgery, I focused on cancer of the spine tumors. And nobody really described how you actually operate on those. And they're pretty rare but pretty devastating if you have one. So I spent a lot of time trying to figure that out. How could I actually take a tumor out and improve somebody's life and longevity? So that was really exciting and came out with a classification that's used today globally on how you actually do resect tumors of the spine. Um, During my time at the University of Iowa, I worked on pain models because all the patients I saw for back problems had back pain. And I didn't understand why. Even though I'd gone through medical school and residency, nobody actually explained to me why they have back pain. So we developed an animal model to study pain. And I actually wrote the papers to describe why people actually have back pain and ridiculous pain. Then the question is, why do you operate on them? What does that do? So then we did a, the largest study ever done by NIH on uh, back surgery. Uh, in the United States, we studied uh, several thousands of patients across 14 states, 140 physicians, and came out with some pretty interesting studies that made front page of other fold New York Times. Yeah. So then I studied at Dartmouth and became director of the Dartmouth Institute, which studied healthcare for the United States. And so all of this stuff just happened because I was asking why. And I probably asked too many times and became CEO. I've had a fascinating life before coming to Microsoft.
1: If you think about the last two moves that you made from the Dartmouth Institute to being the CEO of a health system and then from that to Microsoft, what have been the things that have been most surprising to you?
0: I think that there's somewhat a, a white space between healthcare and tech. And I think as somebody who studied health services research, studied the US healthcare system, I felt like we weren't living the promise we wrote about with the variation in our own system. So, my mantra as CEO for seven years was to create a sustainable health system, not a healthcare system. And so, if you think about that, um, that's a very divergent path for a healthcare system today. And so, um, and I did studies that said less is more in spine surgery, for example. And everything we studied in the Atlas showed tremendous variation, mostly surgical procedures, but heart failure, uh, bypass surgery, um, uh, stents. I break it down into three uh, specific areas. One, is there effective care being provided by our system or our country? And when I mean effective care, things that are evidence-based, like aspirin to prevent heart attacks. And there's this supply sensitive issue. Is it because we have more beds in Boston than we have in New Haven that more health care is utilized and you're more likely to die? But actually, you're more likely to die living in Boston than New Haven. And is that a supply side issue? So again, why? So Supply-sensitive care was important. So effective care, supply-sensitive care, and the last one is preference-sensitive care. And this notion that where two treatments were equal, a patient should have the choice. So I tried to develop a sustainable health system Mm -hmm. that embodied let's do effective care and let's have a stream by which that occurs. Let's not build more beds, even though that might make more money for us. So let's not get into supply sensitive care. And let's start the first in the world shared decision making center, which I started at Dartmouth, where patients are given tools to make decisions when preferences matter. These are some of the smartest people I've ever worked with, but they don't know healthcare. I think the cloud uh, that's out there now allowing for uh, Access to things that you don't have to have on-premises, security issues, backup opportunities is incredible. We shouldn't negate that. The problem is health systems are afraid and don't trust to take their patient data, PHI, and put it in the cloud. And I think as a tech company, sometimes you don't appreciate what that means because you haven't had that owner's responsibility of taking care of tens of thousands of patients who are very sensitive to what happens to their information.
1: You talked a lot about incentives, which I think are a key issue in this space and something that, for example, ACOs initially tried to set out to address, amongst other types of payment mechanisms. Tell me a bit about what you see as the most exciting things on the horizon in terms of trying to solve the incentives problem.
0: So. What I would suggest is we think about, first of all, community by community. And you can define a community by zip codes, by economics, by school districts, by YMCA locations. We as a society have not defined a system that we want to support and how we're going to support it. We've taken a nation of very diverse communities and people and put one system in place, a federal system. We have several commercial systems, but they're pretty much fee-for-service, even though they're suggesting they're in, quote, unquote, value-based care. And I say, value to whom? So how do you do this? My belief, right or wrong, I believe, we should take a community. I don't care if it's Baltimore or Chicago or LA. What is the population of those cities? What are their needs? Not what can we build and offer them and get paid for, but what are the healthcare needs of those communities, those populations? Then provide the resources to address those needs, not reverse. In so doing, we'll probably get to reality of the social economic issues as being the most important issues to address, and oh, by the way, I do need a hospital, X number of beds less than I have now. And oh, I should use Walmart or Walgreens for my primary care visits. And I don't need all these diagnostic MRIs and CT scans, which all goes back to your productivity question, because every system's designed to get the results it gets. And we've built a system that is not performing well. Because we've not built it with what we need to do today. We built it in the 60s based on trying to get insurance. And we, we revisited that under President Obama to get insurance. But we never actually had designed the system to get the results we actually need to get. So I would love to have an experimental pilot community where we, Microsoft, could partner with a health system, with a Walmart, with an auto industry, with an insurance company and say, now we're going to take this model city and it's, you know, 5 million people and we're going to work together to redesign this to what we really need and do the financial model that will be very different because the workforce will be different and the distribution of care across the continuum will be different. That's a dream I have. And the data is critical. Interoperability, which is big for Microsoft and for healthcare and pushed by CMS uh, at a federal level, is really important. But you have to architect things to be interoperable and to share them. And so I think if we could get, as I said, the food chain and the health systems and the commercial markets that people really visit every day and put all of that data, which then gets to big data and artificial intelligence and machine learning capabilities, then we could actually do something for a society with greater probabilities using the data in the right ways.
1: Well, one way to think about tech, and back to the issue you raised, that there's not a tech solution to every problem, you know, and there's also not a match for every tech platform or solution that exists out there today. So where do you see the exciting avenues for tech to go?
0: I think Microsoft is um, really interested in the efficiencies of, of the workforce. Um, so how do you not just become efficient but effective? And I think um, several of the product lines that have been announced by Microsoft, uh, things like Empower MD, that use natural language processing. To actually help a physician patient encounter and make it um, so the doctor doesn't have to sit there typing uh, with his back to the patient. Empower I think, will help to revolutionize that interchange. But I also will be cautious about how fast. Because don't forget, as I well know as a physician and as somebody who led a health system, doctors are very slow to adopt. New things, despite how wonderful they are, when we implemented the electronic health record, because we were early in this space at Dartmouth, because we went big bang, we, you know inpatient, outpatient, uh, everything, and uh, it was hard, yeah. and I had to work in all the spaces because the electronic health record' different in the emergency room it's different in the operating room, it's different in the clinic, and it's different in inpatient and you know. Everybody had to be trained, let alone try to do their work. And, you know, I think we've come a long way, and it's wonderful the gains we've made in such a short time of in getting information into a system. The big issue now is how do you use it? Yeah. And how do we make it useful at point of care?
1: Are tech companies natural partners to healthcare systems and payers and other stakeholders in addressing productivity? And why or why not?
0: I think Microsoft wants to be a natural partner and I think there's different parts of the health system as you understand. You know there's the payer side which is a very different business of managing claims or talking about benefits. That's where bots and chatbots can be really helpful uh, for uh, patients to check their benefits. The bots can deal with those things quite effectively and I think on the administrative side of a hospital, the same kind of thing. If a patient's calling in to ask questions, you can probably set up a chat bot to do a lot of that effectively. On the other hand, I, I think the notion that um, tech is going to save you time, I'm just not sure yet because uh, I haven't seen it. And so I think we have to be really careful what we promise and not overpromise. I did some work for the federal government on inequities. You know, we have more people in this country now on Medicaid than we do on Medicare, and that's going to grow further. And, you know, people talk about uh, equality, and I say equality is interesting, but if I give everybody a size eight gym shoe, that's not equitable. And so, the reason I'm bringing this up is technology is interesting, but we have to be careful about how it misses some of the largest parts of the population. And we have to be sensitive to solutions for all, not just some. And uh, I hope they influence that more because it's, it's going to become a bigger problem for the world.
1: So, you know, sometimes it seems as though folks talk about technology as being the silver bullet and it's going to solve everything, cancer, diabetes, you know. So what problems that are productivity related in healthcare do you think that's actually not something that tech will solve, whether it's because it's primarily an operational problem or primarily a cultural problem or something else entirely?
0: You have to have the right culture to move change forward. And that's hard. And I think most leaders uh, who've tried to do it. appreciate that comment because I've been privileged, as you said, to be in a lot of positions and lead a lot of organizations and make a lot of change. But I've had a lot of pushback sometimes, too. And they don't always tell you it's the leader because people are afraid to talk to the leader directly. But believe me, I heard it. But all of us need to do better. We tend to want to have a solution for everything and there is not a solution for everything, especially in healthcare. And quite frankly, almost everything. Because I don't think technology will be successful in artificial intelligence in the way people might perceive. Everything's not an artificial intelligence problem. And I think there's risk in artificial intelligence. People can corrupt networks, and you might not perceive it. What if my model didn't account for you as an African American female. But I've used that model broadly. So we could end up over-diagnosing or underdiagnosing in exponentially greater numbers than we are now. So I like the idea of validation of models, but being honest about what's possible and excited about that future. But we have to also deal with today's inefficiencies.
1: Absolutely. I'd love to push a bit more on the automation piece, especially in light of the waste that we know is inherent in administrative tasks in the healthcare system. Do you see tech actually replacing automated tasks that people do in a big way in healthcare.
0: Yeah, but we have to start training people differently for a different workforce future. What is a future radiologist's work going to be? If a chest x-ray can be read better by, by a machine, a plain chest, I don't need to have somebody sit there all day and read that. But do we need to do some quality checks on certain numbers to make sure that there's an agreement? Or do we use that information in a quality way to improve the training of future radiologists? This is just an example, right? But we're not designed as a system, as a country to do that. I think many things could be done uh, in an automated way. So if you think about consolidation, to me those are the things, supply chain, revenue management, pharmacy, that could be consolidated across many organizations with a centralized set of services. Still maintaining privacy with your own container of information, but why not centralize all that? Why does every hospital need an IT department, a revenue management department, a supply chain department, a pharmacy department? They don't. With a $20 trillion deficit and a growing healthcare economy we can't sustain, productivity becomes really important amongst many things.
1: I'd love to ask, if you take providers and payers in turn, what would you say to leaders who want to think total transformation for their systems in terms of a productivity journey partnered with tech companies such as Microsoft or other types of players? What advice would you have for them? What would you say they should be thinking about?
0: The inequities in our society are growing. There's a paucity of solutions that are solving the problems for those most in need. And yes, we have drugs that are very exciting and very costly, but they are not a solution for society at large. And so I think these partnerships with the payers and the providers and the pharma and policymakers, oh, by the way, um, are really important right now. I'm hopeful Microsoft will lead much of that. Because to your point about productivity and efficiency, it's in those businesses too, which impact the provider organizations as well. So my latest role is around strategy and thinking about these issues and data analytics because I think they're the foundation of the solution set that you're asking about. And so those payers, which have tremendous power, including the federal government, the VA, Need to be critical partners in all the things we're talking about.
1: It is so true. I think we as a society have created this very fragmented and quilted healthcare system to try to cover who we can, um, where we can, you know, and to the level that is tenable at any given point in time, but without really stepping back and thinking about how to do this in a better way. And I think as we looked at the issue of productivity and the the cost of care keeps rising, there really does rise to the top an equity question. People are falling through the cracks all the time, or not.
0: And it's gonna get greater. And we judge things the wrong way. We need big ideas to share to make everybody's boat rise and move the whole curve to the right and stop regressing to the mean.
1: Jim, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. It was a real honor.
0: Thank you. Thanks as always to our listeners for tuning in. To learn more about McKinsey's work in healthcare, please visit mckinsey.com.